Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 42 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 124 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, that corresponds to the week ended March 30th, 2019. Welcome. So this week, we're going to start off a little differently. We're going to talk about what happened during the week in some broader context to kind of lay the groundwork for a lot of the items that got little attention. But as we started the week, we were all grappling with the fact that we knew at the end of last week, the Mueller report had been delivered to Attorney General William Barr. We didn't know the contents of it. We didn't know last week as we started this week, whether those contents would be made public We kind of thought they would be. Everyone was hitting refresh on their Twitter. Well, we finally found out by Sunday afternoon where things stood. And that was in the form of a letter from Attorney General William Barr, again, a recent Trump appointee who has expressed very strong opinions about presidential power and about obstruction of justice and about the Mueller investigation, as we've discussed in past weeks. But what he basically did is give Congress, which was made public, a four-page, which at the time was described as a summary of the Mueller report. We didn't see the Mueller report. We haven't seen the Mueller report. We had a four-page summary based on what William Barr wanted us to know. Um, And what ensued from there, and we're going to go into more detail in the bullets, was... Trump was able to shift the narrative and run with it with the help of our media, which was all left back on its heels. Even though the report was not conclusive and we still have not seen the report, Trump lied, grabbed it as a victory lap, and everybody followed suit, including the front page of the New York Times, which Monday described Mueller report in bold letters, and again, we haven't, you know, we don't haven't seen the Mueller report, but a lot of our media mischaracterized what happened, which is very frustrating and set the groundwork for where we are now. Reporting in the new in the Washington Post on Monday, based again at this point on this four-page letter, we don't know anything more than the four-page letter, basically laid the groundwork for Trump to shoot down every other investigation. Before the Mueller probe, which we knew was a narrow probe, it was going to look at two things, Russian collusion, and it was going to look at obstruction of justice. Everything else is farmed out. There are many other investigations going on right now. We're going to talk about some of those as well. But every other investigation, by the way, this was handled by our media with the help of you know Trump cheerleading and going after all of his enemies and going after the media. We've made it a lot less likely that any of the other investigations going on related to Trump, and there are numerous, there's the Southern District of New York, which has numerous investigations. That's how Michael Cohen ended up in jail and other investigations that have just started up that we don't even know about. Uh, There are investigations by Attorney General Letitia James of Deutsche Bank. There's the Emoluments Clause. There's other Attorney General investigations. There's what's left of the Mueller probe, but that is still being investigated The way that was handled this week in our media or mishandled sort of leads us to a path that any of those, we sort of inoculated Trump, even though the findings from the Mueller report, all we have seen is a summary. We have not seen the Mueller report. So at this point, I'm encouraging everybody to not go down rabbit holes or follow people that take you down rabbit holes. I can't control what the media does or other people do, but I would just encourage us all to stay with the facts. Uh, That way you won't be disappointed. That way you won't be confused. What we know at this point is what we're going to talk about, um, which importantly is a bar letter. He called it a summary in the beginning of the week. He sent out a second letter at the end of the week where he recharacterized his summary as saying it did not purport to be an exhaustive recounting of the special counsel's investigation or report, which he then revealed this report is nearly 400 pages long, plus exhibits and documents. 
and yet that was able to fit into four pages? Seems odd, no? So Barr's Sunday letter, which came out, said that the that Mueller did not find evidence that Trump or his campaign knowingly colluded with Russia, but on obstruction of justice charges, Mueller did not render an opinion. Most experts thought that was to be left to Congress, separation of powers, but Barr and a deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, stepped in and did render an opinion. They concluded they could not criminally proceed with charges on Trump, and Trump grabbed that ball and if you Google Trump victory lap, which I believe came from the Trump regime, clever marketing, you'll see many entries of Trump setting his ways shortly after the report, excuse me, the letter came out on the report, um, him taking a victory lap and energizing his regime to basically take acts that looked a lot like an authoritarian regime, not a democracy. We're going to talk about some of those. Uh, going after Democrats, going after his, quote, enemies, going after the media. This is one of those weeks where it just felt awful, I think, for people. Uh, in addition to what we're going to talk about, there were so many other stories that were confusing. I think right now, that's why I'm really pushing people to stick with the facts and get to the truth even if that, if that involves some patience. I know we've waited 22 months to get this Mueller report. But there were so many stories this week that didn't make a lot of sense. And then a whole lot happening in the regime that got very little attention and coverage that was super important. So we're going to go through some of those. As we started off the week on Sunday, excuse me, on Saturday, Mueller's office said it was handing off its case before Judge Amy Berman Jackson against Rick Gates, who continues to cooperate in several investigations to the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Court. So those are cases that Rick Gates, who was the deputy campaign manager uh, of Trump's campaign, was on the inaugural committee, was part of the transition team. He's still cooperating. And remember what I said up front, that Mueller's probe was narrow. So there are other cases proceeding that we're going to get to soon actually relate to Russia. But the inaugural committee, we've heard other countries related to that. We've heard UAE. We've heard Saudi Arabia, Qatar. So again, it's still coming. We don't know at this point. We don't want to go rabbit holes and speculate, but other things are still to come. So uh, Trump, we hadn't heard from him. Just to draw a comparison, last week we talked about his frenetic pace last weekend of sending 50 tweets. This weekend he sent under 10. Last week you could tell something was coming and that he was tipped off because of the frenetic nature of those tweets. And we talked about the fact he spent the week attacking McCain and George Conway. This week we didn't hear from him in the beginning um, until after the report came out when he started his attacks. It was like a, an attack dog put into action with the on button put on. But again, on Sunday afternoon, Barr delivered this letter to Congress. Um, the letter said that, quote, despite multiple offers from Russian-affiliated individuals to, insist, to assist the Trump campaign, Mueller did not find evidence of agreement, tacit or express, between the Trump campaign and the Russian government on election interference. So... According to Barr, again, being careful here, not according to the Mueller report, but according to Barr's letter describing the Mueller report, Mueller did not find collusion between Trump or his campaign members and Russia. Barr also said Mueller did not reach a conclusion on obstruction of justice. Quote, the special counsel states that while this report does not conclude the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Important point there. On obstruction of justice, Barr said Mueller's report, quote, cataloged the president's actions, many of which took place in public view, but he also cited actions taken privately, which are described in the report. Although Mueller did not take a stance, Barr and Deputy General Rod Rosenstein concluded the evidence gathered, quote, is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice offense. Experts notice the unusual nature of Trump appointees, including his recently handpicked attorney general after he got rid of Sessions, making a decision on obstruction of justice rather than forwarding the full report to Congress for their judgment. Nonetheless, Trump declared victory an hour later 
in his first public remarks, tweeting, no collusion, no obstruction, complete and total in capital letters, exoneration, which is again false. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders mirrored those comments, saying there was no obstruction, total and complete exoneration, again, false statement. Trump later told reporters, quote, this was an illegal takedown that failed. So again, talking about the deep state. And hopefully somebody's going to be looking at the other side, adding so many people have been so badly hurt after not looking at the other side. So again, just starting to rile the crowd for going after Democrats, for going after the media, for going after his enemies. Of course, Speaker Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and the House Judiciary have been pushing and continue to push uh, for a full report, including the uh, House Judiciary Chair Gerald Nadler called for the release of all underlying evidence as well, saying Special Counsel Mueller worked for 22 months to determine if Trump obstructed justice, while Barr took two days. On Sunday, CNN reported that the Mueller's team had actually deliberated at length with the Justice Department about seeking to subpoena Trump for a sit-down interview after Mueller made the request for months. The decision was made to accept written answers, which, again, is really curious that Mueller finished his report without interviewing Trump, but supposedly they thought it would keep things tied up for too long. On Monday, the New York Times, and these are the important things to sort of take away as well. The New York Times reported Trump has ended norms in place since Watergate, firing an FBI director for investigating him and his associates forcing out an attorney general for not protecting him and dangling pardons because, because Mueller took no position on obstruction of justice. According to Barr, future occupants of the White House will feel entitled to do the same and thwart efforts by law enforcement to scrutinize their actions. So we talk a lot about broken norms and how that sets the stage for our future unless we correct it. This is important, what we just read here, that, you know, if we have another bad apple in the future, they can point to what Trump was able to do, to fire an FBI director, to get rid of people investigating him, to get rid of people that won't protect them. Those are things that sound like authoritarianism and not democracy, but more bad precedents that we are setting now. And then the fun started on Sunday, the gloating, the false victory lap. Donald Jr. said in a statement, the collusion truthers in the media and Democratic Party should be, quote, held accountable, saying they are only going to double down on their sick and twisted conspiracy theories. Kellyanne called, Conway called on House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff to resign, while House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said Schiff should lose his committee leadership position. On Monday, Trump tweeted a tweet of a Fox News clip mocking Schiff. He later told reporters in the Oval Office, there are a lot of people out there who have done some very, very evil things. Trump added, quote, I would say treasonous things against our country and, quote, those people will certainly be looked at. So again, these are the kind of words and threats that we were hearing from Trump. Now we're going to hear from others as well. Schiff told reporters Monday, undoubtedly there is collusion and added his committee will continue to investigate if Trump and the people around him compromised in any way or compromised in any way by a hostile foreign power. On Monday, Trump's reelection committee sent a memo to television producers telling them basically to blackball certain Democrats from appearing because they make outlandish false claims without evidence. Gee, who does that? We have Trump who has lied 9,000 times, Kelly and Conway who gets on and says, who knows what, Sarah Sanders. But his re-election campaign wants to blackball these people. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Representatives Nadler, Schiff, and Eric Swalwell, as well as Democratic National Committee Chair Tom Perez and former CIA Director John Brennan. Just how unusual is that to try to silence your critics? That's been happening all along. The other weird thing that happened this week is all of like Trump's old sycophants that were either part of the Mueller probe, being investigated or in jail, 
the media had them back on after being like thrown back on their heels, our media, all of a sudden we started to see like these old faces, Mike, Michael Caputo, Carter Page, George Papadopoulos appearing on TV, writing op-eds about how they were victims of this Mueller hoax and da-da-da. And mind you, Barr let this happen. But, so we're going to start off on Monday with Steve Bannon, who's been getting a lot of media, again, inexplicably, why stations are hosting him as well, and what role are you hosting him? Because he might be under investigation by Mueller, because... Uh, he's a white nationalist? I, I don't know. CNN had him on this week as well. Yahoo News interviewed him and, and Steve Bannon said that Trump is going to go full animal and the chains will come off. And he also said that Trump will use the Mueller report to bludgeon House members. All things that have been true, although we haven't seen the Mueller report. Uh, and then Trump's other sycophants on Monday, Senate Judiciary Chair Lindsey Graham, and I just want to like step back for a second. We talk a lot about Lindsey Graham, but how unusual it is that Lindsey Graham is now Senate Judiciary Chair. That was a position held by Grassley. He had not termed out. He somehow handed over the reins to Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, who spent Friday night with Trump as the Mueller report was coming out in Mar-a-Lago. Lindsey Graham, who, when we started the weekly list, was flying around with Amy Klobuchar and John McCain, to assure our allies and protect our democracy. This same Lindsey Graham, <laughs> uh, who now stepped into Senate Judiciary Chair position, which is extremely important, which is also liaising with Attorney General Barr in what's happening, has Trump's right ear. Like all of these things is just like ding, 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 like nothing makes a lot of sense. Uh, but anyway, so Senate Judiciary Commissioner. Lindsey Graham said his committee, quote, may look into the other side, threatening to investigate FISA warrants, the Clinton campaign, and the counterintelligence investigation. On Wednesday, Senator Rand Paul, another man we talk about a lot, tweeted, time for Congress to investigate former President Obama, saying, for what he did and when. When did this hoax go on for so long unabated? So we're threatening Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. On Monday, after criticism that Barr and Rosenstein seemed to make a quick decision on obstruction of justice, a, quote, leak <laughs> indicated the two knew Mueller would not make a decision on obstruction of justice three weeks prior. See, they're, they don't tell us anything unless they want to leak information to protect them. Uh, Savannah Guthrie on Monday on an NBC interview asked Press Secretary Sanders if Trump owed Mueller an apology for calling him a national disgrace, discredited, a prosecutor gone rogue. Sanders replied, are you kidding? On Monday in an evening tweet, Trump tweeted, quote, the fake news media has lost tremendous credibility with its corrupt coverage, praising Fox News for being, quote, a big and ratings of CNN and NBC tanked last night, um, which is true because people are confused. And, um, you know, again, I'm encouraging people to like step off watching the news and start to get involved in fighting for 2020, not just the top ticket races, but all of the races. Um, our media is now on their heels and trying to recalibrate how to cover and what to cover. But ratings did go down for CNN and MSNBC this week. On Monday, Senate leader Mitch McConnell blocked a resolution by Senator Schumer to unanimously pass a non-binding resolution, which cleared in week 121 unanimously in the House. Three times between Mitch McConnell, that was the first time he blocked it. He blocked it again Wednesday when the ranking Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee Diane Feinstein brought it to a floor. So twice this week, McConnell blocked the Senate from voting to publicly release the Mueller report after the House unanimously blocked it. And then last week, Graham blocked them too. So three times between Graham and McConnell, the Senate has avoided voting on whether the report should be made public. Both times, McConnell claimed Barr is working with Mueller to determine what the report should be released and blah, 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 blah. Basically, stonewalling and blocking is what he's doing. Uh, but meanwhile, Graham is in direct contact with Attorney General Barr. Imagine that. 
Graham told reporters Monday at a morning press conference that Barr should testify publicly before his committee, uh, but adding he would leave it to Barr if Mueller should testify. He also told reporters Barr told him he would send the Mueller report to the White House first in case it wants to claim executive privilege over any parts before it makes it public. Graham also said Barr told him it would likely take weeks, not months, to release the report. On Monday, six Democrats who chair House committees sent a letter to Barr requesting he submit the full report to Congress by April 2nd. On Tuesday, CNN reported Speaker Pelosi told House Democrats in a private meeting that Barr said it was his job to defend Trump and that Trump is, quote, above the law in a memo. So wait to see the full report. Good advice from Pelosi for all of us. On Wednesday, Attorney General Barr said he will not meet demands from Democrats for April 2nd. Representative Nadler said he is disappointed and the other Democrats are exploring legal options, including possibly subpoenaing Mueller. So how did this play off in the public? These are some important numbers. Quinnipiac Piac poll found 84% of Americans believe the Mueller report should be made public, including 77% of Republicans. And this is also important. Without seeing the full report, 7% said it made them more likely to back Trump, just 7%. 6% said less likely, while a combined 86% said they had already figured out their vote or the investigation results would not sway them. We saw that in repeated polls this week, that although Trump sees the narrative and did his victory lap, his approval didn't move, and every single poll that came out this week showed that the majority of Americans haven't made a decision on the Mueller report, that they still want to see the results, including the CNN poll, which found 56% of Americans do not believe Trump and his campaign were exonerated by, the re- by again, not even the report by the Barr letter, 43% believe he did, was. And polls that came out towards the end of the week were even less convincing. So we didn't know a lot about what the Mueller report looked like until Thursday when the New York Times reported that the DOJ confirmed that the Mueller report exceeded 300 pages, revealing Mueller went beyond the bare bones summary required by the DOJ. The length of the report also raised questions of how Barr could summarize its contents in four pages. DOJ officials, including some in Barr's office, may redact information that Trump could claim as privileged before sending it to Congress. Democrats would likely contest Trump claiming privilege. So now back to, while this was going on, other cases involving Russia (laughs) or involving investigations. On Monday, the Supreme Court turned down the request of the mystery foreign state-owned company fighting the Mueller's team subpoena to get a Supreme Court appeal. On Monday also, Bloomberg reported a lawsuit by BTA Bank, alleged Felix Satter and a wealthy businessman explored financing a Trump Tower Moscow deal in 2002 using laundered money. The complaint filed in Manhattan, again, this isn't part of the Mueller probe, and complained in Manhattan federal courts that Satter tried to help launder some of the $4 billion stolen. Um, decades ago by ex-BTA chairman Mukhtar Abilazov. So they were using laundered money. They were going to try to use laundered money to build the Trump Tower Moscow. And Satter, who was supposed to interview this week with the House Intelligence Committee, that was postponed as that news came out saying they needed further answers to what was in the Mueller report before they met with him. And then this curious development, Mueller had impaneled a um, grand jury that we knew in D.C. under U.S. District Court for D.C. Judge Beryl Howell. Um, That case was then handed over to an assistant U.S. attorney. And when asked this week by Howell about the cases, he said their cases are, quote, continuing robustly. The cases relate to Russia collusion in the 2016 election, raising questions of why the Mueller report was finalized while the cases continue to proceed in the D.C. court. The U.S. Attorney General in D.C. is also leading the subpoena fight with the mystery foreign company we talked about, as well as the upcoming trial in November against Roger Stone and the sentencing of Rick Gates. 
On Monday, Graham, this is odd, said he told Trump over the weekend at Mar-a-Lago that he encouraged John McCain to turn over the Steele dossier to the FBI. He also said to CNN Wednesday, I could not give a damn what he thinks about me and John McCain, adding, I'm not into this idea. The only way you can help honor John McCain is to trash Trump. So that's Lindsey Graham. <laughs> There's more Lindsey Graham this week. Um, now I want to talk about some of the everyday racism as a side note. On Monday, Representative Mo Brooks quoted a passage of Hitler's Mein Kampf on the House floor. Lovely. Comparing Hitler's characterization, characterization of the big lie propaganda to Democrats and the media's use of the Mueller probe. On Monday, Pennsylvania Republican State Senator Stephanie Browaritz was, was criticized for disrespectful prayer after she continued to pray, overlapping with the state trying to swear in its first Muslim lawmaker, Democrat Representative Movita Johnson-Harrell, as she was being sworn in. NBC News reported advocates and lawyers sent in a letter, transgender and gay migrants held at an immigration facility in New Mexico, have been subjected to, quote, rampant sexual harassment, discrimination, and abuse. The letter related to Otero County Processing Center claimed the warden placed or threatened to place migrants who complained with solitary confinement or in barracks with heterosexual men. In a letter relating to the Otero Processing Center, excuse me, the facility is operated by a private prison company called Management and Training Corporation. Uh, which said that it is following ICE's transgender detainee guidelines. Indy Star reported Lynn Starkey, a counselor with 39 years of exemplary work at an Indiana high school, including teacher of the year recognition, was told she will lose her job over being in a same-sex marriage. Starkey will become the second guidance counselor at Roncala High School, one of more than 60 schools run by the Archdiocese of Indianapolis to lose her job over being in a same-sex marriage. Isn't that, this is happening in America. Two people are being fired because they're married to the person they love. Okay, on Friday, the Tulsa World reporting the buildings at House Oklahoma Democrats Party Headquarters were vandalized with racist and anti-Semitic symbols and words. And then on Friday, Pat Buchanan told Laura Ingram on her podcast that he warned against, quote, people from different cultures and ethnicities and races coming to America, claiming black Americans have not been, quote, fully assimilated. See, this is the kind of stuff that in normal times, if you made a comment like that, would get a whole lot of media attention. And now in our country, in this chaos, it, it like nobody even noticed these outrageous racist remarks of Pat Buchanan. It didn't even rise to the top. But that's what we're living in now. I'm, I want to point it out for that reason. And that's why we talk about everyday racism every week. Um, not that this stuff didn't happen before, but it just gets no attention and it's getting worse and more normalized to make statements like that. So in addition to what was full unfolding with um, our country kind of being shaken on Sunday, there was other news that came out early in the week that was kind of led to this confusion and exhaustion and not knowing what to do. I want to talk about three other stories. The first was on Monday, we learned that Jeremy Richmond, who's the father of a first grade girl that was killed in the Sandy Hook massacre, uh, was found dead in an apparent suicide. Now this follows last week, there were suicides by two Parkland high school students. Um, so just, you know, this morose and, and, and heartbreak for people in our country um, of, of those taking their lives that were survivors. The National Rifle Association's Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre warned in a fundraising letter that the group could be shut down forever, blaming Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo. There's pressure on banks and insurance companies. Alex Jones said in a sworn deposition that a, quote, form of psychosis caused him to believe certain events like the Sandy Hook massacre were staged. 
Jones blamed, quote, trauma of the media and the corporations lying so much. So that was one story. The second story that came out Monday was that federal prosecutors in New York charged Michael Evanati, who we know from this list and also was formerly the attorney for Stormy Daniels, with extortion attempt against Nike. He was also charged Monday by federal prosecutors in California with bank and wire fraud. So that came out, like Avenatti came out while we were still digesting the bar letter. And then on Tuesday, the Cook County State's Attorney General dropped its criminal charges against Jesse Smolnett. As records were sealed, it was unclear why, but Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel called it a whitewash of justice. So, you know, that's been, that brought up a lot of confusion. That dominated the news for Tuesday. On Thursday, Trump suggested the FBI and DOJ will investigate Smallnut's case, calling it outrageous and saying that it is an embarrassment to our nation. So those three, you know, again, so this week was, it's hard to describe and I want to memorialize it properly for the Library of Congress and for everybody listening. Uh, but everybody was set back Monday in shock, I think, in a way, like not knowing what to do next. I think there was a lot of expectation that we would see the Mueller report or know what was in it. There was a lot of confusion that what Barr told us versus what Trump was saying that he was exonerated and our media basically aiding and abetting that effort by reporting that the Mueller probe said early in the week, as opposed to the Barr letter and there just being this confusion. Then we had the Avenatti case. We had the Jesse Smolnick case, which also are confusing. So I just kind of lay that out there. That's what this week felt like. There are also some important stories this week relating to social media. Bloomberg reported that lawyers for Trump this week were going to appeals court to overturn a ruling that he cannot block Twitters, block people on Twitter. <laughs> this is what Trump is concerned about. Trump claims that the account belongs to him personally and not the government, so he should be able to block people which is interesting because we get to this next bullet. On Tuesday, Jennifer Uttrich, who is an attorney that represented this case, represented Trump, she's an attorney for the Department of Justice, and she was arguing for Trump. One of these circuit court judges remarked, this is a great quote, quote, it's curious to me that the Department of Justice is here representing essentially a private entity. So just notice how odd that is that the DOJ is representing Trump when he's saying, I'm using the Twitter account for me personally, not the government. That's strange. We're going to have more on that this week. And then on Wednesday, Twitter's head of legal policy and trust told the Washington Post that the platform is considering labeling tweets that violate the company's abuse terms. The move would allow the company to keep tweets up because they are in the public interest, meaning Trump's tweets. Uh, but they've been criticized as Trump's tweets often violate Twitter's rules uh, against bullying, dehumanization, and threatening harm. So that's another important development. On Tuesday, Motherboard reported in a major policy shift, Facebook announced it will ban white nationalism and white separatism the same as it's done with white supremacy on both its Facebook and Instagram platforms. Users who try to try to post that type of content will be directed to a nonprofit that helps people leave hate groups. Facebook made the shift after a backlash from civil rights groups and historians. On Thursday, Axios reported that Google is pulling a conversion therapy app following pressure from LGBTQ groups. Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft have also banned the app in recent months. Okay, so we've been talking about all these other things happening and all the confusion and all the chaos in the country relating to the Barr letter versus the Mueller report and people trying to digest that and Albanati's news and Jesse Smolnett early in the week. And then there's all this other news that got like really little attention but is super important uh, on Monday, the Pentagon notified Congress it authorized the transfer of $1 billion to begin construction of a new wall, Trump's wall, the first such transfer since Trump vetoed a resolution to block his national emergency. The Pentagon's funds diverted from other projects 
will be used to build 57 miles of fencing and other measures on the southern border. The Army Corps of Engineers will be deployed to begin planning and construction. So this is happening. Every Democrat on related Senate Appropriation Committee subcommittees joined in a letter to acting Secretary of Defense. I just want to point that out. We don't have a Secretary of Defense, not since Jay Mattis left. We have an acting Secretary of Defense, Patrick Shanahan, to object, saying the funds and personnel were not approved. Again, this is a, this is the function of our Congress is to approve funding. Back when we had a functioning democracy, those kind of things happen. The House tried to override Trump's veto. They fell short. They had 14 Republicans joining the Democrats, but they needed 50 to override. Then on Monday, hello, the Trump regime brought in its attacks on the Affordable Care Act as the Justice Department argued to a federal appeals court the entire law should be invalidated. In December, a federal judge had ruled that the ACA's individual mandate was unconstitutional. A Department of Justice legal file filing challenging the individual mandate to the Fifth Circuit said that ACA should be struck down completely. The regime's new position was harshly criticized by the insurance industry and by consumer advocates, saying it put more than 100 million Americans' coverage at risk. On Tuesday... Politico reported that Trump told Republicans they have to, quote, come up with a plan that is far better than Obamacare. While he was tweeting his support, Trump tweeted, the Republican Party will become the party of health care. But again, he had no plan. Trump's actions caused Republicans by surprise um, and acknowledged even his allies like Mark Meadows that Trump has given them little or no guidance on an expected health care plan they're supposed to come up with. And then this is important. On Wednesday, Politico reported the shift in legal ta- taxi- tactics on Obamacare by Trump were opposed by both Health and Human Services Secretary as well as Attorney General Barr, who runs the Department of Justice. So this is the second example this week. We talked about in Twitter with uh, that Trump was defending, saying it, is, it was his personal account, so he should be able to block people, yet the Department of Justice defended him. And now we have the agency head of Health and Human Services and the guy who runs the Department of Justice disagreeing with him on trying to say Obamacare should go away completely, and Trump doing it anyways. So who is running the Department of Justice? And that question is rhetorical, but it should also alarm us that this is, you know, again, he got rid of Sessions, who wasn't to his liking, you know, sucking up enough. Look at what's happening now. These are like real-world examples of boundaries that should not be crossed that are being crossed. So that happened. Uh, and Trump seems very proud of himself, just hands off the hot potato of the Republicans. You guys solved this. Then there was some blowback in other related cases. On Wednesday, the federal judge blasted Trump regime uh, for cases involving Arkansas and Kentucky for failing to consider how many Medicaid beneficiaries would lose coverage under proposals by those two states to require recipients to work in order to get coverage. The Trump regime had approved the work requirement for Arkansas and Kentucky. The judge judge deemed the approvals to be, quote, arbitrary and capricious and said the work requirement could not go into effect. And then on Thursday, a federal judge in D.C. blocked the Trump regime's less cheaper alternative, I'll call it, uh, known as the Association Health Plans. They were cheaper alternatives that were supposed to undermine Obamacare as well. The judge said that they were basically ACA end-arounds and found that they violated the ACA. And then on Friday, Politico reported Trump appointee Seema Verma, who oversees Medicare, Medicaid, and Obamacare, directed millions of taxpayer dollars to Republican communications consultants. The subcontracts routed through a large federal contract break with precedent. Staffers in her department raised concerns about her use of federal funds on GOP consultants to amplify her own work. On Tuesday, NBC News reported Vice President Mike Pence talked with 
Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats and talked him out of quitting over his frustration with Trump at the end of the year. Among the tensions, Trump pushed Coates to find evidence that Obama wiretapped him. We're back to the Obama wiretap. <sighs> Just like Rand Paul is going back to going after <laughs> Obama. And Lindsey Graham, we talked about, is going after the FBI surveillance. I mean, it's, it's, here we are, folks. Um, so, again, the tensions were... Coates, he wanted Coates to find evidence Obama wiretapped him, which didn't exist. He demanded Coates publicly criticize U.S. intelligence as biased and accused Coates of being behind leaks of classified information. Trump also, according to reporting, referred to Coates privately as, quote, Mr. Rogers when he was upset with Coates, which I guess to Trump is a bad thing. Pence has pushed Trump to refer to him as Coates. So that was happening. And then on Tuesday, Trump was tweeting. He said the, quote, mainstream media is under fire for being scorned all over the world and is being corrupt and fake. Saying for two years, the media pushed the Russian collusion delusion. Trump also treated the media, quote, always knew there was no collusion. And again, invoked the phrase, enemy of the people, tweeting, they truly are the enemy of the people and the real opposition party. On Tuesday, the Washington Post reported Puerto Rico faces a food stamp crisis as Congress missed the deadline for reauthorization in March, resulting in cuts in stamps for about 1.3 million, or 43% of the island's residents. Reportedly in the Oval Office meeting in February, Trump told advisors to limit federal spending going to Puerto Rico to only money going to the electric grid saying instead funds should be going to the mainland where there are more white people. And just you know, side note here, electric grid, like who benefits from the electric grid? Well, eventually Trump, when they go to rebuild Puerto Rico and his buddies that want to build golf courses and properties will need a good electric grid. So you kind of get where he's going with this. Don't feed the people, but make sure the electric grid works. On Tuesday, Trump told GOP senators behind closed doors that Puerto Rico received too much money to rebuild after Hurricane Puerto Rico, saying it is, quote, way out of proportion to what Texas and Florida and others have gotten. On Wednesday, the White House told NBC News that Trump will, quote, not put taxpayers on the hook to correct a decades-old spending crisis that left Puerto Rico with deep-rooted economic problems. On Thursday, CNN reported Trump has refused to meet with a Puerto Rican governor. Aides for Rosello said in a tense encounter at the White House on Wednesday, Trump aides said they were pushing too hard. Whatever that means, like your people are starving, but you're pushing too hard. Trump later denied Rosello's claim, telling reporters that he has, quote, taken better care of Puerto Rico than any man ever. Trump claims Puerto Rico is wasting money, an assertion, an assertion Rosello denied. So that was all going on. So we have the billion dollars going to the wall. We have Trump getting rid of Obamacare on his own volition when everybody disagreed with him and having no backup plan. And then on Tuesday, in her first testimony before the Democratic-led House, Education Department Secretary Betsy DeVos defended spending cuts at her department as part of Trump's budget cuts at her agency to cut by 10%. Proposed funding cuts included $18 million for the Special Olympics, while boosting funding for charter schools by $60 million. On Wednesday, following public outcry on cutting funding for the Special Olympics, DeVos issued a statement blaming the media. Gee, that's a new kind of thing. Uh, and some members of Congress as well. She said for, quote, falsehoods and fully misrepresenting the facts. So that was her statement Wednesday. On Thursday, at a press conference, Trump told reporters, quote, I just authorized the funding for, of the Special Olympics, adding, I have overridden my people. After Trump's statement, DeVos said, quote, I am pleased and grateful the president and I see eye to eye on this issue. Okay, you just said it was a fake news, but okay. Adding, this is funding I have fought for behind the scenes for the last several years. So how's that bus going that you got thrown under, DeVos? On Tuesday, Paula Kerger, the longtime president and CEO of PBS, in an interview, I wish I knew why for the third year Trump's proposed budget would zero out funding for PBS. 
Kerger noted PBS is in places where local journalists really have collapsed. Local journalism has really collapsed. And our local radio and TV stations are the only media presence. On Tuesday, the Washington Repost, the Army chose Palantir Technologies to build its technology systems, marking the first time the government chose a Silicon Valley company over traditional military contractors. Okay, scratch his head. Why would the why would for the first time they do that? Ah, Palantir was co-founded by Peter Thiel, the billionaire investor who has served as a Trump advisor and has donated lots of money to him uh, during his 2016 campaign. And now on to our economy. And we talked last week about how Trump was planning to pick Stephen Moore for the Federal Reserve. On Wednesday, Bloomberg reported that Trump's current pick for the Federal Reserve, Stephen Moore, owes more than $75,000 to the Internal Revenue Service, according to court documents. Moore also was president of political advocacy organization Club for Growth when the group paid a $350,000 penalty to settle FEC violations. So he can't pay his taxes. He cannot run an organization, but he's supposed to be on our Federal Reserve. Anyway, but it keeps going. Washington Post reported experts are also concerned about Moore's long record of controversial statements. And there's a number of them too long to put in the list. But if you want to read them, go to uh, number 120 in the list, click on that link and you'll, you're in for a treat. (laughs) Uh, And also people are concerned about Trump having a direct line impact, impacting the market's view uh, of the Fed's independence. On Thursday, the Commerce Department reported economic growth slowed at the end of 2018, with GDP gaining just 2.2% in the fourth quarter. Now, Trump had promised 4% growth, but that put GDP for 2018 at 2.9%, below his even 3% promise. So Trump that morning tweeted as the numbers came out, quote, very important that OPEC increase the flow of oil. World markets are fragile. Price of oil getting too high. And then wrote, thank you. On Friday, CBC, CNBC reported that OPEC leader Saudi Arabia said it will ignore Trump's threshold for oil prices. Like we do all this stuff for oil for Saudi Arabia and Trump just assumes that he can tweet and voila, the whole world oil market will shift, but apparently not. And then, you know, I've been drawing a lot of attention to the story, I think in part because I'm like an ex-Wall Streeter and this is like red alarms ringing for me, starting with last summer when Trump um, started attacking his pick, I need to say that, his pick for the Federal Reserve Chair. Again, when he took office, the Federal Reserve Chair was Janet Yellen, the first woman to hold that post. Reporting by the Washington Post indicated he didn't want to renew her con- renew her time or keep her on um, because she was 5'3", and he thought Federal Reserve chairmen should be taller. That was his rationale. Anyway, her policies tended to be more dovish on raising interest rates, but he put in his guide, Jerome Powell, who he started last summer to criticize, which is like unheard of that the, a president would be criticizing the Federal Reserve, which is meant to be independent. And then on Friday, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow told Axios that he would, quote, love to see the Fed cut interest rates by half a point, mirroring comments that Steve Moore made last week. Again, this is... You, no, 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 no. This does not happen. The White House doesn't tell the Federal Reserve what to do. Larry Kudlow knows this. On Friday, Trump blamed the Fed for the slowing economy, tweeting, quote, had the Fed not mistaken, mistakenly raised interest rates, especially since there is very little inflation, GDP would be higher. So just trip down memory lane when Trump took office, the economy was still doing well. It was the end of like the tailwinds of the Obama era. Trump took credit for those. That was all him. But now things are not going well. Whose fault is it? It's not Trump's fault. It's the Fed's fault. Follow along, people. Okay. So speaking of not normal, on Thursday, Politico reported Leader McConnell is moving closer to using the procedural move known as the nuclear option to speed through Trump's nominations, claiming unprecedented obstruction. This is the guy that blocked Merrick Garland, calling it unpresent, uh, unpres- <laughs> unprecedented obstruction. 
Uh, and we're going to show you some other examples of why this is so ridiculous. He's saying that the, the Democrats are obstructionist. Okay. This, the Senate Rules Committee approved a resolution in February that would limit debate time for executive branch nominees and district court judges, but not Supreme Court and cabinet nominees. McConnell's actions come after prodding by Trump at a closed-door meeting Tuesday. Democrats, of course, strenuously objected. So again, we're blaming the Democrats. On Thursday, Trump's pick for the number three position at the DOJ withdrew from consideration Jesse Liu over serving as an official at the National Association of Women's Lawyers, which supported abortion rights. As a side note, she would have been replacing Rachel Bland. That position has been open for 13 months without a nominee, but it's the Democrats' fault. On Friday, Politico reported that Linda McMahon will resign as head of the SBA, a cabinet position. So that's another resignation for Trump's cabinet. So let's put this in some context while Mitch McConnell is blaming the Democrats. On Friday, NBC News reported that according to Partnership for Public Service, 155 high-ranking positions, which require Senate confirmation, do not yet have a nominee by Trump. Experts say that after 26 months in office, every position should have a nominee. The partnership also found that 282 of 714, about 40% of key executive branches roles are unfilled. I have to say that again, 40% of the key roles in our executive branch are unfilled 26 months in. Another reason for the lag is high turnover. Brookings Institute found prior to McMahon's resignation on Friday, turnover of top Trump officials was 66%, including uh, 10 cabinet positions. On Thursday, NBC News reported Trump is expected to pick Morgan Ortega, um, I'm going to mispronounce her last name, Ortegas, who is a Fox News contributor to replace Heather Newart, as a Fox News, who is a former Fox News anchor, as the State Department spokesperson. So who could have seen that coming? Remember that Jane Mayer story we discussed a couple of weeks ago as how, you know, the, the sort of symbiotic relationship between Trump and Fox News? So Trump has managed to find another State Department spokesperson from Fox News. HuffPost reported that Trump has placed images, these are just like kind of Fun stories. Placed images of White House emblazoned with the words Trump Hotels, uh, pictures of the White House with the words Trump Hotels on products for sale at Trump Hotel DC at their Trump store. After reporting, found out about this, the merchandise was pulled. And then this was kind of sad, but kind of telling of our time. On Wednesday, the USA Today published excerpts from hours of interviews of Barbara Bush by Susan Page of the USA Today. Um, Bush blamed Trump for a heart attack she had in June 2016. Bush also said the morning after the election day, quote, I woke up and discovered to my horror that Trump had won. She also said Trump, Putin endorsed him. For heaven's sake, Putin the killer. That's an endorsement you don't want. When asked if she is still considering herself a whether she still considered herself a Republican in October 2017, she said yes. But in February 2018, Bush, who had been one of the most recognizable faces of the Republican Party, said, I'd probably say no today. So I mentioned early on about some of the Trump sycophants who now, you know, this week we're giving a voice again in our media. On Tuesday, George Papadopoulos told Reuters, quote, my lawyers have applied for a pardon from Trump, claiming Mueller's team threatened him, treated him it threatened him into the plea deal that ours told him he would be charged with a more serious crime. Other former Trump aides also came public to say they were victims of an overly aggressive Mueller probe, including Michael Caputo, who wrote an op-ed and then appeared alongside Carter Page on an MSNBC show. On Wednesday, in an interview with Fox News host Sean Hannity, Trump said he would not rule out pardons, saying, quote, many, many people were incredibly hurt by this whole scam. Several Trump allies, including Hannity, Fox Ho News host Tucker Carlson, Rand Paul, 
Charlie Kirk in Judicial Watch's Tom Fitton also spent the week publicly pushing for pardons. On Thursday, AP reported Trump's closest advisors and GOP allies are trying to steer him away from pardons they say could spark a political firestorm. But watch for that, folks, because Trump listens to nobody but himself. And if he wakes up on a Wednesday and decides he wants to pardon everyone, he's gotten away with everything else. What would stop him? He doesn't care about norms. He doesn't care about political firestorms. He'll just throw us a new distraction. On Wednesday, in an interview with ABC News, former Trump legal spokesperson Mark Carello said he spoke to Mueller's team about the crafting of the statement to cover up the Trump Tower meeting. Carello said Hope Hicks lied about the statement and grew angry when he disagreed, adding when he said there were documents to prove she was lying, she responded, quote, no one's ever going to see those documents. On Wednesday, House Oversight Committee Chair Elijah Cummings sent a letter to Trump's audit firm, Mazars USA, requesting 10 years of statements of financial condition and audits for Trump and several of his companies. On Thursday, Judge Tanya Chutkin said Maria Butina, who admitted to working as a Russian agent to infiltrate the NRA, will be sentenced on April 26. Charges against Butina were not part of the Mueller probe. On Friday, the DOJ formally asked the judge in a court filing to send Butina back to Russia after she is sentenced and to have her acknowledge she cannot return to the U.S. for 10 years. Again, she's been cooperating about the NRA's role. So all this stuff is still pending. We have a lot more we're going to learn. Um, But the concern I raised at the beginning is the way our media handled or mishandled in the beginning of the week, the bar letter, that they have somehow inoculated Trump from having consequences of these things while in office or ending his term early. On Thursday, Jared Kushner testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee at a closed-door hearing. Kushner, who appeared before the committee in 2017, was re-interviewed as part of the Russia investigation. Later Thursday, Kushner said in a statement, Today I voluntarily answered follow-up questions, hoping it puts an end to those baseless accusations and adding it's time for Congress to complete its work and move on. On Friday, Roger Stone, in another possible violation of his gag order, posted an Instagram image of Representative Schiff's head laid over a bull Schiff meter. He later deleted the image. On Thursday, Trump tweeted, quote, Congressman Adam Schiff, who spent two years knowingly and and unlawfully lying and leaking, should be forced to resign from Congress. On Thursday, the nine Republicans on Schiff's committee called on him to step down as chair, signing Schiff's statements that the collusion is incompatible with your duties as a chairman. On Thursday, Schiff gave an impassioned speech to his committee, citing his evidence of collusion and adding, quote, the day we do not, the day we do think that's okay is the day we will look back and say that is the day America lost its way. On Thursday, Speaker Pelosi told reporters at a press conference when asked about Barr's letter, quote, we don't need you interpreting for us. It was condescending, it was arrogant, and it wasn't the right thing to do. Pelosi also said, quote, I have said, and I'll say again, no thank you, Mr. Attorney General. We do not need your interpretations. Show us the report and we can draw our own conclusions. When asked about attacks on Schiff, Pelosi said, quote, what is the president afraid of? Is he afraid of the truth that he would go after a member, a chairman of a committee, adding, I think they're just scaredy cats. You have to love Pelosi. Pelosi also attacked Devin Nunes, saying, quote, I'm so proud of the work of Chairman Adam Schiff, in stark contrast to the irresponsible, almost criminal behavior of the previous chair of the committee. On Thursday, Trump held his first rally since Mueller finished his probe in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's also Trump's first rally in the Rust Belt in nearly two and a half years. Trump spoke for almost 80 minutes. Before the rally, the chairwoman of the Michigan Republican Party held a warm-up rally where she led the crowd in chants of no collusion, no obstruction, and the crowd chanted, lock her up. These are the people that want us to move on that are yelling, lock her up, and Hillary hasn't run for office since November 2016, so that's good. Uh, At his 
rally, Trump declared victory in the Mueller investigation, hammering his critics and media, saying the Russian hoax is finally dead, the collusion delusion is over. Trump invoked the deep state, saying the probe was nothing but a sinister effort to sabotage the will of the American people in an effort to illegally regain power by framing innocent Americans. Trump again attacked Representative Schiff, saying, quote, they're on artificial respirators right now, and little pencil neck Adam Schiff, he's got the smallest, thinnest neck I've ever seen. Contradicting his own 2020 budget proposal, which slashed funding by 90%, Trump said he was going to fully fund the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, saying, I support Great Lakes, always have. They're big, very deep. With no outline for an alternative, Trump barely mentioned health care. He invoked John McCain's no vote, which was met with booze, and renewed his pledge to protect coverage for pre-existing conditions. On Friday, Trump's 2020 campaign started selling, quote, pencil neck Adam Schiff t-shirts with a description he spent two years knowingly and unlawfully lying and leaking he should be forced to resign. So we talk about like what our country feels like. Can you imagine like any other Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George Bush, Obama selling t-shirts saying pencil neck so-and-so from the opposition party and he should be fired? or resign. Okay. Again, pointing out the not normal. On Friday, Pelosi again defended Schiff and took a shot at Representative Nunes, tweeting, quote, his comprofessional leadership is something we should all be proud of, unlike his predecessor. And then on Friday, after all the public pressure, including Pelosi and the and all the Democrats and all the rest speaking out, on Friday, in a two-page letter to Congress, Attorney General Barr said the Mueller report, which is actually close to 400 pages, will be delivered to Congress by mid-April, if not sooner. Barr does not plan, despite what Lindsey Graham said, to submit the report to the White House beforehand, saying Trump would have the right, however, to assert privilege over certain parts of the report. He stated publicly that he intends to defer to me. I mean, Trump is going to defer to Barr to do that. Barr said he would redact grand jury information, information about ongoing investigations, and information that would potentially compromise sources and methods used for intelligence collection. Barr's letter also contradicted his Sunday letter, which he characterized as a summary of the Mueller report, saying it, quote, did not purport to be an exhaustive recounting of the special counsel's investigation or report. So he's already backing out of his own letter from Sunday. Asked by reporters about the letter at Mar-a-Lago, Trump said, quote, I have great confidence in the attorney general, if that's what he'd like to do, adding, I have nothing to hide. This was a hoax. This was a witch hunt. Representative Nadler responded, saying, Congress requires the full and complete Mueller report without redactions, as well as access to the underlying evidence by April 2nd. That deadline still stands. And again, I have to ask, 400 pages. The Department of Justice says how many people, like, can they work on Monday, like everybody, and redact 400 pages? This is just utterly outrageous that we've waited this long. On Friday, in an op-ed who was from someone we haven't heard from a lot, uh, former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates called for Barr to release the full Mueller report as soon as possible, saying it is time for the American people to hear the whole truth. On Friday, Trump mocked Democrats, tweeting, quote, Mueller was a hero to the radical left Democrats until he ruled that there was no collusion with Russia, adding, no matter what we give them, it will never be enough. And then another story that emerged Friday that got little attention in the chaos, but again, like, what is becoming of our country? On Friday, photos emerged of hundreds of migrants being held in a penned-in area, under the Paso del Norte International Bridge in El Paso. The regime described the situation as a temporary measure. Reportedly, a surge in migrants coming from Central America strained facilities at the southwest border. This week, Customs and Border Protection handled thousands of people in excess of the system's capacity. Advocates say migrants in the outdoor holding center complained of not having enough food and water, of not having adequate medical attention, and of being cold. There are pictures um, that start to surface of people. They were outside. They looked like animals being, like, kept behind fences. It's just inhumane. 
On Friday, in a series of tweets, Trump threatened, quote, I will be closing the border or a large section of the border next week, blaming Democrats in Mexico, saying they just take our money and talk. Trump later told reporters at Mar-a-Lago that there was a very good likelihood that he will close the border with Mexico next week, saying, quote, I will close the border if Mexico doesn't get with it. On Saturday, Trump said he would cut hundreds of millions in aid from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala over what he said was their lack of help in stopping the flow of migrants to the U.S. So that all happened with very little attention. On Friday, Trump demanded the Washington Post and New York Times should be stripped of their Pulitzer Prizes for covering for their coverage of the collusion with Russia, tweeting, quote, there was no collusion, so they were either duped or corrupt. On Saturday, the New York Times reported on Trump's 2020 campaign. Aides say he relies on always having a foil. And now without Mueller or the Democrat running or a Democrat running against him, Trump will use the media as a stand-in. The campaign is also battling Trump's preference for fights and distractions and a tougher electoral map. Aides say Trump, who is 72, is tired and will only commit to one campaign event a day. On Saturday, Trump sent one tweet, then headed to his Trump International Golf Course in West Palm Beach for the 55th time. So that's it this week, folks. Hopefully this week we will see the Mueller report. Hopefully it's not too redacted. Keep sticking to the facts. Let's be patient. Wait for facts. Don't make assumptions until we know. And time to get involved. Time to get involved in state races, in congressional races, Senate races, and governor races coming to your state in 2020. It's time to start being woke and getting reengaged. Until next week, have a good one.